0: The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to the creek. I'm Pastor Matt. Uh, Like they said, if this is your first time, we'd love for you to fill out one of those guest cards so we can get some information in your hands about the church and uh, begin the process of helping you connect. Here's the one thing I've learned uh, in years of ministry. If you don't make a connection... You won't stick around. I mean, I'm not that good. The band's not that good. And so you need to have Jesus at the core. And I know you think otherwise, but it's, uh, you need to have Jesus at the core. And then you need to build some relationships around you so that you begin to walk this life together. Uh, so we are talking today about the truth of miracles. Um, and Kevin said the prize I have a red velvet cheesecake for the group that brings the most eggs. Honestly, you, I know you guys, you can't cheat. Y'all be cheating. Honestly, I don't know how you cheat, but um, but they are eggs, fill them with candy, bring them. A uh, group that brings the most, you can snack up on a red velvet cheesecake. I, I crashed a group this Wednesday night because I heard they had wings. So uh, <laughs> I started with dessert in my group and then went to that group after we were done just to clean up, you know. So Truth About Miracles, we're working through the book of Acts. One of my favorite ways to teach is just verse by verse. Let's move through it. Let's keep it in context, and uh, let's be changed by the truth of Scripture. Today we're talking about the truth of miracles in Acts chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, go there. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows. And if you don't own a Bible... Then that is our gift to you. Uh, in Scripture, there's approximately 300 plus miracles recorded in the entire Bible. Uh, you're looking at a span of 1,500 years-ish, uh, and uh, that's about one every five years. So miracles don't happen all the time. But we read about them all the time in Scripture. I was reading this week, uh, Elisha, um, man of God, performed many miracles when he died in his tomb, some people threw a, a dead guy into his tomb because there were some grave robbers coming by. So they threw the dead guy in Elisha's tomb. He touched his bones and came to life. That would be a miracle. Uh, that, that would be a miracle because I'd be out of there too. Uh, you'd see me walk on water. I'd be like cartoon speed if that was the case. Uh, we were walking through an old family cemetery one time and the, the grass was kind of high and a rabbit came out from underneath one of the tombstones. <laughs> I thought I was going to see Jesus right then. (laughs) 35 miracles are recorded in the ministry, the three-year ministry of Jesus. So they they happen, but they don't happen all the time. If miracles happened all the time, we would come to expect them. They would become normal or natural. Miracles are supernatural. If you ask me if I believe in miracles, absolutely. We read about them in Scripture. We hear testimony of the goodness of God in our life today. Let me challenge you with this, though. Be careful about labeling God's provision a miracle. When I was shopping this week, I got a front row parking spot. That's not a miracle. I don't even think that's God, really God's provisions. God's like, look, I, that's fine that you got a front row parking spot. It's a matter of timing. you know. That's not a miracle. Don't expect that at Christmas at the mall. So I think when we start to cheapen miracles, we cheapen the praise that's due God. I mean, when we start labeling everything a miracle, oh, I got a front row parking spot. It was a miracle. you know. Then we're talking about cheapening the worship that is designed for us to glorify God and give Him the glory and honor that He is due. We should expect miracles. We should pray for miracles. I mean, we need to think big. We need to dream big. We need to ask big. We need to trust big. But we shouldn't think that miracles are going to happen all the time. Um, Miracles do not kill doubt. The disciples that followed Jesus in His three years of ministry... Were uh, witnesses of these miracles. They were actually participants in some of these miracles. And yet, after the crucifixion, they find themselves running for their life, scattered, and then coming into a room together and doubting that Jesus is the Messiah. Miracles do not kill doubt. Miracles are not the message, Jesus is the message. Miracles follow Jesus, Jesus does not follow miracles. Jesus doesn't run around doing miracles just so we can be happy little Christians. Jesus doesn't work for us so that he does miracles so he can be our God in our pocket. The message is Jesus. Let's understand this when we start understanding the truth about Jesus. On this doubt issue and belief, one of the scriptures in your future reading is the story of Lazarus the beggar uh, who dies and the rich man who also dies, and they see each other. Uh, I'm going to write a book someday. As a pastor, I deal with some crazy experiences. Um, Some of the weddings I've done, they're they're fun. (laughs) We'll just say it that way. Some of the funerals are interesting. Uh, I will never forget. This one will be in the book, so you get first hearing of this. I did a funeral one time of a a, a younger woman, and... uh, I was sitting in the front row of the funeral and, you know, going through my, my notes and things and just kind of just really praying, God, help me get out of the way. Help this to be a day that honors you and is a great memorial for her. Um, help her. And I'm just praying. And all of a sudden I see this, this girl out of my periphery come up and she just touches the casket just like this. And then she walks away. Now, I notice weird things. Okay, it, it, it is weird that we're in the, a funeral service and she's walking up and putting her hands on the casket. But I was like, well, maybe she's just grieving. You know, she looked about the same age, young 20s. But what I noticed, is like, she's not wearing shoes. And I was like, that's just gross. You know, I don't like feet, all right? But so then she walks back, and I'm just sitting there, totally throws my thinking off. Well, then I get up, and I'm preaching this funeral, and I see her and another guy in the back, and they are pacing like lions ready to, to eat. I'm just like, I'm trying to give the signal to security, like, you know? So, and, and, and so our staff and our team's in the sound booth of the auditorium, and they're just looking. They're like, I'm like, take care of that. So after, the, after I preach and we pray, we're walking out so we can go to the, the cemetery for the, the interment. And I'm standing there, and they come up, and they go, Pastor Matt, that was a great service. I said, well, thank you. I said, how do you know her? And they go, oh, we don't. And I'm like, okay. No shoes, pacing. Are you high? You know, I mean, what is why are you here? And they said, We don't believe that it was God's will for this girl to die. And then I know, I was like, all right, this is not the time or place to go into this, because we're fixing to have a throwdown. And you know, I said, Look, uh, here's my number, here's my email, <laughs> let's talk about this. We're not don't don't do anything that's gonna ruin this day for this family. It's hard enough as it is. I mean, and that's just kind of the discernment of the Holy Spirit checking like Radar pinging like, boop boop, 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 And so they asked if they could come to the cemetery. I said, fine, but but let let this is the family's day. If you don't know anybody here, this is the family's day. And so we go to the graveyard, and uh, I get there early, and I'm standing by the, the grave to, to receive the, the procession coming up, and they come running up. They go, look, we don't believe this is God's will that she died, and we believe God wants to raise her from the dead today. And at that point, I'm wishing. I wish I was carrying because I'll do two more funerals today. And I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I said, I said, listen to me. You are not going to ruin the family's memory of this day. I mean, I mean, I mean, just inside the Holy Spirit's like, this ain't right. And I like, I'm with you. I am in agreement. And so they said, just think of all these people who would believe and put their faith in God if they saw her come out of this casket. And like I told you, you got to know Scripture so the Holy Spirit can bring it back to recall. I said, they have the prophets and Moses. They have the Gospels. They have the testimony. They have the Word of, of God through Scripture. They have the whole Gospel story. I said, even if they saw her come out, they won't believe. It will be something they talk about for a long time. Whether you believe this is God's will or not, God is in control. You are not. And you will not do anything to ruin the family's day, memory of this day. I said, you will step back now. And so they, they go to the back. And so uh, we do the, the, the service. And then they come up and they said, can we pray over the casket now? I said, when every person leaves the cemetery, you can pray over this casket till you can't pray anymore, till whatever you want to do. And, and they said, well, just, we think you just missed revival. I said, revival doesn't happen from a miracle. Revival happens from Jesus. And I walked away. Jesus is the message. The miracles follow the man. If Jesus wants to do a miracle, he's going to do it. But it's going to make him clear. It's going to make the gospel clear. It's going to reveal and glorify God through the miracle and through what happens. And we also need to understand this. Of all the miracles that are recorded in Scripture or that anyone can put on a blog or send an email about, the greatest miracle is the resurrection of Jesus. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit calling him from the tomb so that through him it is finished and the sacrifice has been, the, the requirements have been met, the punishment has been paid, and then he is alive so that we can have life. That's the greatest miracle. If, it, if that's not the greatest miracle, then, then we're, we're in trouble. It's like 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul's talking about the resurrection. He says, there's some who don't believe in the resurrection, And if we don't have the resurrection, then we of all people are to be pitied the most because our faith is in vain. But praise God that the resurrection is the greatest miracle that's ever happened because we serve a risen Savior and we let him handle the miracles. Let me give you a couple views about miracles before we get into the text. Um, The first one is when God does a miracle, he violates natural law. Um, I believe that God created all of the laws that exist in our universe. God created everything. He doesn't have to violate his own law. He doesn't have to mess with it. The second view is that God temporarily, temporarily suspends the laws of nature. God doesn't have to call a timeout. Okay, God. In, in, in God's sovereignty, he can see the beginning and the end, the middle, the top, the bottom. I mean, we, we have this ability to see only what we can focus on. God can see it all. He doesn't have to call a timeout for him to accomplish what he wants to do. The third one is God acts outside of nature to affect nature. Here's what I believe about the nature of God. He's very personal. When you, when you look at the miracles that Jesus was involved with, there's a very personal element to them. If God steps outside of the natural law to do something that affects the law, then he's stepping outside of a personal relationship so that he can make an impact in our life, and he's more personal than that. The fourth one that I tend to, to track with is that when God does a miracle, he uses laws of nature in ways we don't understand. Think about the knowledge that we don't even have yet. Think about the technological advances we've seen in our, just, in, just take down the last 10 years. If you want to go, go back before that, you know, think about, you know, I have a, a, um, Heather's grandmother who passed away. I mean, moved from horse and carriage to car, to TV, to color TV, to internet. She was a texter too. I mean, she, I get texts from her, Ace Gima, I love you. I feel like this is crazy. I mean, she went from, I mean, all that. In the first century A.D., people could fly. They just hadn't discovered lift and thrust yet electricity existed in the first century. They just hadn't discovered it yet. It's not that something was, in, was created out of nothing. It was discovered that God said, now's the time that you can discover this. I mean, even think about technology in our life, how it doubles, what, every two to five years? I've got the iPhone 4. Some of you are like, psh, five. <laughs> I'm holding out for the nine. <laughs> Headphone jack is on the bottom. So, with miracles, Acts chapter 3, here we go. The first thing about miracles is miracles will meet more than the perceived need. They're always going to meet more than the perceived need. Let's, let's understand more about what that means. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. The man's perceived need is money. You know, it's funny. This is first century. We're 2013 AD. Not a lot's changed. The comment in our house is this. came from our best friend. We need some more money up in here. This isn't rocket science with finance. Here's a financial lesson. You either got to get more coming in or decrease what's going out, okay? It's not rocket science. I mean, it's, whether it's your household or any economy, it, you got to decrease what's going out and increase what's coming in. That's how you get into the abundance, right? So that was free. But his, <laughs> his perceived need is money. And, and what's interesting is his ailment defined him he sat outside one of the best places to beg. The gate called beautiful because the people were coming into the temple to give their offering and to pray and to worship. I mean, smart. It would be like sitting at the coin star begging for change, <laughs> right? Like, hey, man, you got any change? No. <laughs> smart man, right? He probably got really good at it. Um, this man had a little bit of a, a broken theology because the belief at the time was he was crippled from birth. So the belief was that God was punishing him or cursing him. And, and he was sitting outside of the gate. There, there, there was this mentality that he's outside of the grace of God, outside because God is cursing him. You know, the disciples asked Jesus the same question when they came upon a man born blind. They said, who sinned, his mother or his father? And Jesus said, Neither. But these things happen so that God might be glorified. And so this man has a broken theology. He's crippled from birth. His ailment defines him. And then verse 6 through 10, this is what happens. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Think about the miracles that just happened. And we think, okay, okay, Peter and John just healed this guy. No. God healed this guy. They said, get up and walk. This man had been crippled from birth. Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, uses a medical term when he says his feet and ankles became strong. Okay, there's a process that happens that that ligaments grew in strength, that tendons, and those of you in the medical field understand all of that. I don't. But all of it comes together, and strength is restored, and he picks him up to walk. Think about it. His feet and ankles become strong, and then he walks. Those of you who have kids know how long that process takes i mean they 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 look like intoxicated toddlers man they're thinking (laughs) i only know what intoxicated people look like because i've seen cops (laughs) bad boys bad boys um what you gonna do um think about that it takes a child months to learn balance and gain that strength and gain that center of gravity instantly God restores strength to his feet and ankles and instantly brings balance to his being so that he can walk, that he can jump, and then he can praise God. So what's going on here, and you read this, he's inside the gate now praising God. God didn't just fix his feet, he fixed his theology. He's like, you're no longer outside of the grace of God. It's not that I'm cursing you, I love you. And he now is included, he's in there praising God. His perceived need at the beginning of the day was money. And God did a complete healing. See, when God does it, he's going to do it all the way. We are body, mind, and spirit. And he's going to fix it all. It's a holistic approach. God's not going to leave it out. And he fixes it. Um, Those are the good things. Let's talk about the implications of this miracle. This man's livelihood was begging All the people saw him walking, jumping, and praising God. In other words, God just took away his job. He took away his source of income. Uh, How many of us, if we knew what was on the other side of a healing or a miracle, we'd really do it? How many of us have actually gotten too comfortable sitting on our mats outside of the gate thinking God's upset with us And we're too scared because of what the implications of God's miracle. I mean, maybe some of you are too afraid to let God completely heal the addictions in your life because you don't know how you're going to cope without it. Maybe some of you are worried about God healing a relationship or marriage or relationship with your kids in your life because you're too worried about how you're going to make the relationship function after he heals it. When God does it, he does it completely. And you've got to trust that he's going to meet more than the perceived need. It's not just money. It's not just a, a, a fixing a fight or fixing a particular situation. He heals it completely and totally. Second thing, the purpose of the miracles for God's glory, period. On my iPhone 4, Siri and I talk when she likes me. And I'll do the talk thing, hit the microphone, and I can say what I want to say. Like Heather will text me, I'll say, I'm on my way home, period. And I, I'd say, I'm on my way home, period. And the first time I did, I thought I was gonna say, I'm on my way home, and she would type out the word period. Now she puts a dot. I was like, she's smart. <laughs> I was like, sweet. The purpose for miracles is God's glory, period. Not for anything else, not for us to get our way, not for us to think that we're fixed, not for us to meet a need that we think is a perceived need, but it's for God to get the glory. And Peter And John point to that very quickly. Verse 11 says this. Uh, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Uh, They were coming running to Peter and John because of this Solomon's porch is where they would have all gathered and there's would have been a lot of people seeing it. Now these people grew up Jewish. These people grew up understanding the Old Testament and when they saw this happen, Isaiah 35 is going to pop in their mind. They go, wait, Isaiah prophesied that when the Messiah comes, then he's going to heal their sick and their lame and they're going to run and they're going to leap like deer peter john which one of you are the messiah because what you've done something here you've got our attention now and then peter and john in verse 12 peter says when he saw this he said to the men of israel why does this surprise you why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk peter deflects the attention from them back to god so god gets the glory Here's what I've learned. When God does something in us or through us that's really good, it's not our gift to Him. It's His gift to us. I mean, we can get real pumped up thinking we're all that for God. You know, God takes me back to the reminder in the Old Testament where He can get a donkey to do His work. Ryan, I learned this, you know, if we don't praise the rocks will cry out. So a rock will do Ryan's job. So which I've been reminded I'm as dumb as a rock and stubborn as a donkey sometimes. But he deflects the attention back to God. If you really want to understand something, God, when God does a miracle, he humbles us to exalt himself. Because these things happen so God may be glorified. And so Peter deflects the attention and then he gets into the whole thing, the whole, the whole miracle. We like to stop there. Let's read on. Let's finish out what happened here. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith, In the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, He sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The whole purpose of the miracle was that so God could be glorified and Jesus could be preached. They were trying to connect Isaiah's prophecy to these men in front of them performing a miracle. They deflected, it is Jesus, the author of life, whom you killed, but God raised him from the dead. And all the prophets have spoken of this. And he says, repent so that times of refreshing could come on you, so that this complete healing, because when God does it, he does it all the way. The purpose of miracles is so God can be glorified, so God can be worshiped. I mean, even with what we do today, I mean, Peter's reaching people. The miracle was a setup for preaching Jesus, and people's lives were changed. God got more worship, and God got more worshipers from this, from the message of Jesus, not the miracle. The reason we reach people, that we reach out to people in our neighborhoods, our community, our work, our schools, the people we do life with, the reason we reach out to them is so that God can receive worship and more worshipers not so we can feel good about ourselves, not so we can look and say, hey, look what we've built. It's so God gets the glory and God gets the worship and honor that is due to him and him alone. Honestly, some of y'all might be praying for a miracle, but you might not get it because God may not receive the worship from it. I had a friend I was counseling a couple years ago and he was dealing with some, some, some deep, just dark things and had many dark nights of the soul. And He said, Matt, I've been pressing into God. I've been praying with everything I've got. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm locking in. And he's not taking it away. I said, remember Paul. He was given a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment him. Three times he prayed, God, remove this from me. And what was God's response? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then I asked him this. I said, if God were to completely remove that, would you press into him as much as you do now? Would you say, thank you, God. See you later. Thanks for fixing me. God's not gonna heal you of the thing that's driving you into his heart. Why would he do that? I, I wanna chat with you about this third point. And lock in here because this is really important. Do not or be careful to derive your satisfaction or disappointment based on miracles. I know it's a long feeling, but you know what? Write it down because there's a lot of people living in this swing that God didn't give me what I want, so he must be disappointed with me. He must not be pleased with me. God didn't give me what what I want, so I doubt that he's there. I'm disappointed. I'm angry with God. I don't know if I believe in him anymore because he didn't do what I want him to do. Be careful about that. Don't reduce your prayers and petitions to a formula that's going to try to fix satisfaction or happiness or belief or pleasure with God. Verse 16 says it all. Let me read it to you again. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Let me break that down for you. Uh, Because a lot of people want to formulaically approach, how do I get a miracle? What are the seven steps to a miracle? Good luck. Well, let me tell you, there's two things that this this verse points out. It is Jesus' name. God works a miracle through his sovereignty, Jesus' name, and faith that comes from him. The sovereignty of God is, uh, I know what is best for you. We like to tag Jesus' name on the end of our prayers as if that's the magic chant that closes the deal. You know, in Jesus' name. Lord, can you help me with my card payment? In Jesus' name. You know? Bless this chicken fried steak smothered and covered with gravy and mashed potatoes covered and smothered with gravy and this corn covered in butter. In Jesus' name. God's like, I'll see you soon. I'll I'll bless you when you get here. Think about this. Jesus' name is like the power of attorney that we are asking God the Father in the name of the Son of God, God in the flesh. When you pray in Jesus' name, be asking for the same thing he would. And what did he pray? For God to be glorified. Luke 22, right before he's arrested, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. He knew what was coming. But if not, I prefer your will over mine, be careful about how you use the name of Jesus to ask for what you want, and then faith we have to have faith, it's part of the the element here, but it's faith that he gives us. Faith is not a force, okay we're not disciples of the Jedi, you know hoping that you know strong in the faith is you, my son, you know many miracles will you perform i we, we have reduced this to if, if you have enough faith, then God will He'll give you what you want. Faith isn't some, some force that will move the hand of God. It is faith that he gives us. Faith is the ability to receive a miracle from him by grace. Not if you have enough faith, your marriage will be fixed. If you had enough faith, you know, if you have enough faith and this person won't die. If you have enough faith, this person will be healed. If you have enough faith, if you have enough faith, it is not about having enough faith. If that's the case, you have tied your satisfaction and disappointment with your ability to conjure up emotions on whether God exists or not. And it's faith that comes from him and through the power of Jesus' name. And it becomes a cop-out when we begin to pray for a miracle and it doesn't happen. What didn't happen? Because you didn't have enough faith. Maybe instead of praying for a miracle, pray for God to be glorified in and through your life. Maybe you make the decision to worship him regardless of your circumstances. Maybe you begin to pray for contentment That whether in plenty or in need, whether clothed or naked, whether hungry or satisfied, you can say, God, you're my God, I love you, you're good. And he's good all the time. The greatest miracle is the resurrection of Jesus. If you're worried about God's pleasure and satisfaction in you, look to the cross. That you were worth it. the greatest miracles as he stepped from that tomb on the third day, so that we could have life, so that the healing by stripes on his back would be complete, and that we can glorify him regardless of our situation. You see, the greatest miracle is that we can't do anything to save ourselves, but it's only the power of God. And we call out on the name of Jesus, and we invoke the faith that he gives us to say, you're my Lord and my God. I want you to be glorified in and through me. I repent, I turn, refresh me, forgive me. I look to the cross. I find my pleasure, my satisfaction, and my joy in you and in you alone. You see, the beauty of the gospel isn't that just Jesus saves us. It's that he sustains us and carries us safely home. And he walks with us every step of this life and beyond. And so let's pray, not for a miracle, but for God to be glorified through whatever he decides to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus and the power that called him from the tomb. But Father, right now, we, just, we all have a lot of needs. We all have things we're praying for. We all have things we desire. We thank you that you see beyond our perceived need. And Father, we, we, we unite and we humble ourselves before you to say we will serve you, we will worship you, we will give you glory, we will give you honor because you're good not based on what you do for us. And that, Father, we know that that you are pleased with us because of the cross and because you are the sustainer of life. And we breathe because of your goodness. And we take another breath because of your goodness. So help us, Father, not to get caught up in 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 the miracles, but help us to live in the message. And I pray right now that if there's anyone in this room that, that the Holy Spirit may be working on you, that that you've been praying for the miracle, but, but you've missed the message, I pray. That, through this, if the Holy Spirit has made that clear to you, and I pray just right now, you just you call in the name of Jesus in the quiet depth of your soul, you say it is Jesus, it's only your name that I can be saved by. And I don't know how, but i I'm returning the faith that you just gave me, so that I can be completely restored. Father, for the rest of us, help us to leave here walking and jumping and praising God, but not because of what you will or will not do for us, but because you are good. And we give you the glory and the honor for everything that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.